Well, this morning we have a special guest who is going to be preaching God's Word to us. It's Stephen Lay. He is our pastor, uh, pastoral candidate for the men's and leadership development position. Uh, Stephen and his wife, Melody, have been married for 21 years, and they have four boys, uh, Matthew, who is 15, and then Andrew, Gregory, and John Patrick are 11-year-old triplets. I don't know why y'all do that. And uh, Melody is indeed a saint with the, the three, the four boys. Uh, they're from Cleveland, Tennessee, where uh, Stephen went to the other UT. So the Aggies are going to have to learn a different shade of orange because he's from the University of Tennessee, the Volunteers. Uh, he's also a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. And Stephen has been on three church uh, staffs in a pastoral position. One is at Highland Park Presbyterian Church in Dallas, where he served as the pastor of adult uh, ministries and discipleship. And then he was at Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Covington, Louisiana, where he was the pastor of adult ministries. And his previous ministry was at Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Eustis, Florida, where he was the lead pastor of young families. So will you join me, please, in welcoming Stephen Lay as he comes to share God's word. Well, good morning, Wayside. It is great to be here with you this morning, and I want to just start out by saying thank you very much. Melody and I and the family have been here this weekend, and we have enjoyed the opportunity to see San Antonio a little bit. Uh, we had the opportunity to go down and, and visit the Alamo, and I must say that when I visited the Alamo, it really was nice because they had those flags that represented the people that were there, and I came to realize that out of the 189 men that were there, 30 of them were from Tennessee. And so a little Tennessee pride welled up within me, and uh, I want you to know that I'm not ashamed at all on stage to root for the Big Orange. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, there is uh, another UT I know just up the road, and John Gordon and I are in debate about which is the real UT. So, we also had a great opportunity to go to the Riverwalk and look there and just see that unique, um, beautiful place there in the middle of downtown San Antonio. So, I thank you because through the staff and through the process of candidating, uh, you guys have allowed us as a family to not only candidate with you, but also to see a little bit about San Antonio. And when you move to a new place, that is really important. So thank you for that. The other day I was, had the opportunity to watch my first Medal of Honor ceremony. Uh, Sergeant First Class Benny G. Adkins, U.S. Army Green Beret. The president said when he introduced Mr. Atkins, that the first thing Benny said when he met the president in the Oval Office was, can I sign back up? And his wife was not amused at all. In the spring of 1966, when Benny was just 32 years old, on his second tour in Vietnam, he and his fellow Green Berets were in an isolated camp and a huge North Vietnamese force attacked with mortars and white phosphorus at a time when it was nearly impossible to move without being wounded or killed. On the first day, 
Benny was helping load a wounded American onto a helicopter when a Vietnamese soldier jumped into the helicopter trying to escape the battle and aimed his weapon directly at the wounded soldier. Benny stepped in between his comrade and the enemy, placing himself directly in the line of fire. By the third day of battle, Benny and a few others had managed to escape the jungle. When a rescue helicopter arrived, now Benny decided that others would go before him. And so on that third night, Benny found himself with his men up on the jungle hill, exhausted, surrounded, with the enemy closing in. And after all they had been through, there was something more. And you really just can't make this up. There in the jungle, they heard the growls of a tiger. And it was that tiger that ran the enemy off. For Benny said that they were more scared of that tiger than they were of the U.S. forces. And so Benny and his squad made their escape and they were rescued the next morning. As I watched the Medal of Honor ceremony for Sergeant Adkins, I noticed the refrain, Benny went above and beyond the call of duty. Over and over again, I heard, Benny went above and beyond. And I thought to myself, there is no way that that man would ever abandon his comrades. And moreover, if he could, he really would sign back up. Sergeant Atkins stayed till the end and nothing but death would have made him stop. Benny's acts of bravery paint an amazing picture of faithfulness and loyalty and honor. When we consider our military, we understand these virtues. We see them, we feel them. They give us our lives because they give their lives. And so today, as we look at our scripture passage, we're gonna see that some of the most important character qualities of God are wrapped up in these very same virtues. The virtues of faithfulness, the virtues of loyalty and honor. And we're gonna see a God whose faithfulness is unbridled and whose loyalty never ceases. You see, the Bible talks about a God who gives us our lives because he gave his son's life. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And now Lamentations is in the Old Testament. It's right after the book of Jeremiah. And the book of Jeremiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. But today we're going to look at some of my favorite verses of the Bible. And we're going to see that God does not abandon those who turn to help for him. We're going to see that we find hope when we remember God's character, when we rely on his provision, and when we rest in his promises. You know, when I think about God's work in my life, the word faithful comes to mind. That's the first thing that comes to mind when I think about my personal testimony. I have to say that I am who I am today because of God's great faithfulness to me. 
You see, when I was nine, I attended a saxophone concert at my church. And God had been so faithful through my mother, through my grandmother, and through my father to plant the seed of the gospel in this young child from Tennessee. And at that saxophone concert, there was no preaching, just a very short Southern Baptist invitation. Because even at a saxophone concert, we always had an invitation. (laughs) But that was my invitation. It was a very short invitation. And and basically, all I heard as that nine-year-old child was, whoever wants to come can come. And that's all I needed was the word come. Because God had so faithfully sown those seeds of the gospel in my life. And it was there that I trusted Christ. It was there that I realized that God forgave me of my sins because of the cross and would walk with me forever because of the resurrection. And then again, when I was 14, the truth of Romans 5.8 really captured my mind and heart. I came to realize that God loved me at my worst because God demonstrates his own love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God was faithful at that time to lead me into a growing relationship with him and his word because my parents gave me my first Bible when I was 14. I call it my Bible. It's the one that's now worn out because I fell in love with God's word during my teenage years. When I was 18, I believed that God had called me to full-time ministry and I asked my pastor at the time, Gene Mims, how do you know that you were called to ministry? And he said something interesting. He said, don't worry, God won't leave you alone. Interestingly enough, that rang so true because God was faithful to continue to woo me, to continue to fill me with passion for the gospel and to continue to fill me with passion and love for people. When I was 23, God gave me a faithful wife in Melody who became a major catalyst in my commitment to ministry. He faithfully provided her, and I faithfully fell in love with her. She's been at my side, cheering me on from day one. When I was 28, I committed my life to full-time Christian ministry, and I watched God faithfully prepare the way for me as I walked into seminary. But up until that point, I knew I did not do it alone because there, was, there were many men who were faithful in their call to Christ on my behalf. Men like my pastor, men like my youth minister, men like my campus crusade director and my leader of the navigators, men who were my best friends and my parents. When I was 36, I graduated from DTS with a thriving marriage and four sons. Boy, what a glorious day that was. That was a fantastic day because God had been faithful to see me through once again. And you know, in these years of ministry, I can say today with no doubt whatsoever that I am who I am because of him. That I am who I am because of his faithfulness to me in the gospel. But you know, I haven't always felt God's faithfulness. I haven't always seen God's faithfulness clearly in my life. 
Uh, Sometimes in our lives, things get in the way and our view of God's faithfulness becomes clouded. Uh, Stuff gets in the way, we might say, that can disrupt our faith. When that happens, intellectually, we know God is faithful, but we don't always feel it. Uh, We don't always see it. We don't always understand it. And we don't always apply our faith appropriately. Uh, Sometimes our faith may be limited by the stuff in our lives. Three of those ways that we do that, sometimes we blind ourselves. And this is the context of our passage today in Lamentations chapter 3, where the children of Israel, because of their sin, had blinded themselves to God's great faithfulness in their lives. Sometimes we rely on ourselves. And again, the prophets speak so much about this because the children of Israel continued to rely on themselves and they didn't give God the credit that he deserved for his faithfulness in their lives. Uh, The prophets tell us of this over and over again. Sometimes we too rely on ourselves. Sometimes we question God or question the circumstances that he's placed us in. And maybe right now you're going through some suffering or some trials, or maybe right now you feel like Job. This was Job's struggle, uh, the struggle of questioning God, the struggle of circumstances. But no matter where you find yourself today, whether you can praise God for his path faithfulness in your life, or whether you're at a low point today, No matter where you are today, we're going to see today in our scriptures that when the writer of Lamentations, Jeremiah, was at his lowest, that was exactly the moment that he entered into this process with the Lord that rekindled his hope and that rekindled his faith. We're going to see that as we dig in. And so let's do that today. In Lamentations 3, we're going to look at verses 21 through 23. And I want to just introduce it by giving us a little bit of context this morning. And the context is very important. There's some historical context. You remember 586 B.C. when King Nebuchadnezzar came and sacked Israel and took the Israelites and deported them off into the Babylonian captivity. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah had warned against this in his book called Jeremiah and yet the people were stubborn and they didn't listen and repent from their sin they had blinded themselves to God's faithfulness in their own lives and so what happened was Jeremiah now is sitting metaphorically speaking in the rubble of Jerusalem the temple has been destroyed Jerusalem walls have been leveled There's basically nothing left. It's a wasteland. And it is as if Jeremiah then, after the fact, is now sitting and pinning the book of Lamentations. And so historically, uh, there is an important context that we need to understand. But there's also an important literary context that we need to understand this morning. And that is that in the book of Lamentations, you don't just read Lamentations from chapter 1 to chapter 5 and expect the end of Lamentations to give the tell-all of the story. As a matter of fact, the most important, you might say, part 
of Lamentations is the middle of Lamentations. It has five chapters. It has chapter 1 and 2, which talk about Jerusalem's misery. Chapters 4 and 5, which are prayers of repentance and requests of God to be merciful. But right in the middle, right in the middle of Lamentations, there's this declaration. And so the literary context is very important. There's a a Hebrew literary device called chiasm that is used. And if I said to you, winners never quit and quitters never win, you'll understand that there is some implication between the parallelism of those two items. Uh, So winners, A, never win, A prime. Those are parallel. Never quit, B, B prime, quitters. Those are parallel. So I could just say to you, winners never quit and quitters never win. And you would understand the implication of perseverance. But we can do like the author of Lamentations did, and we can make it a little bit more real or put it right in front of us by saying winners never quit. So persevere because quitters never win. When we say that, that is exactly what's going on in the book of Lamentations. There's the things on the ends that Jeremiah has been talking about, but that which in the middle is the substance of what Jeremiah wanted the people to know. And that is our verses today. And so you have the historical context that the people were blinded by sin, but then you have that central focus, that focus of Jeremiah's response right in the middle of chapter 3. And so let's dig in and read that this morning. Lamentations 3, verses 21 through 23. Jeremiah says this, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. Indeed, Never cease, he says. They are new every morning. For his compassions never fail. Great is your faithfulness. In this first section, the first thing that we see about Jeremiah as he is wounded and dealing with the rubble of his city, the the deportation of his people, and the struggle of the circumstances they find us in, is that Jeremiah remembered God's character. It says, this I recall to mind. He remembered, and notice the repetitive words, never and every here. God, God never fails. They are new every morning. In verse 22, we see two really important words. The first one is this word translated loving kindness. It is a Hebrew word hesed. It means God's covenant keeping love. And so Jeremiah is saying that God keeps his covenant. His covenant never ceases. It is the objective loyalty of God. The security day after day, year after year, the security of faithfulness. Hesed supports us in the flood. It is our foundation when we find ourselves amidst difficult circumstances. But in verse 22, there's also this word that is translated compassions. His compassions never fail. The Hebrew word racham. 
And that talks about not an objective loyalty, but instead a parental compassion. It is the subjective affection of God as father. It is the word that draws us and woos us to God's unwavering devotion. And so after Jeremiah pins this in verse 22, he goes on to verse 23 and he makes this great exclamation, great is your faithfulness, God's unwavering devotion. And so as we look at this first section of scripture, what we come to understand is that like Jeremiah, when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, that the first thing that God calls us to do is to remember God's character, to remember who he is, to remember that his loyalty never ceases and his parental compassion never fails because his faithfulness is so great. And so as we apply our faith to this this morning, what we come to understand is that it is faith that recalls the character of God. That when we find ourselves in these circumstances that we apply our faith to recall or to remember the character of God. Isaiah talks about Hesed a little bit in Isaiah 54.10. He says, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. That's Hesed, loving kindness. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken says the Lord who has compassion on you. Thomas O. Chisholm in 1866, amidst great difficulty and circumstances, penned those, these words, great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. You know, there's been times in my life when I've had to remember the character of God. I've had to come and apply my faith and say, God, I don't see your faithfulness right now, but I'm going to choose to remember that you are a faithful God. One of those instances in my life was when Melody and I were young adults in our young 20s, we began to desire to have children. And as we began to try to have children, we came to find out that it was much more difficult to have children than we realized. Our friends seemed to plan children on the clock. I mean, my brother said, I'm going to have a child in December, and sure enough. And my friends would say, oh, well, let's plan to have a summer baby, and and sure enough. And it was difficult for Melody and I to watch our siblings and our friends have children, us trying the whole time and wondering, God, what are you doing? One of the things that I had to deal with at that time was the great loss. I had to come to a point in my life where I understood that if God never gave me children, he was still a faithful God. That if God never gave me a child, that he was good all the time. Boy, that was a difficult trial in my life. It was a difficult wrestling with God. And I struggled there 
with the character of God. But I came to understand at a point in my life, I came to understand that God is faithful no matter the circumstances that I found myself in. In 1999, Melody and I had the opportunity to adopt a little girl. And we adopted that little girl with great expectation. And when we came home, there were flamingos all over our yard, at least 100 flamingos all over our yard. Our friends and our family had rallied behind us knowing that we were going through difficult struggles. And as they had done that, they were celebrating with us. The only problem is a day later, the agency called and said that the birth mom had decided to change her mind. And in Tennessee, you get 10 days to change your mind. Our world came tumbling down yet again. And I had to say to myself, remember God's faithfulness. Remember, God, you are good because right now I don't feel like you're good. Shortly thereafter, Melody and I had the opportunity to adopt Matthew, our 15-year-old son. It was within weeks. And in that process, we adopted Matthew, a two-pound, two-ounce little baby in the University of Tennessee neonatal intensive care unit. He wears a size 13 shoe now. (laughs) That which was so small has now become so big. (laughs) But Matthew is our son by adoption. He's a beautiful, beautiful boy. And I must say, I would never want to go through those circumstances again. But what I will tell you is that God is faithful because God worked through those circumstances in my life. And when I didn't feel it, I had to remember it, just like Jeremiah in our passage today is doing. The second thing that Jeremiah tells us is not only should we remember the character of God, but we should rely on the provision of God. Look at Lamentations 3, chapter 24. Jeremiah says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Now here, the the word portion is simply an allotment of land. But the idea is an allotment of land for all that you need to sustain you in life. And so back then in that agrarian society, what you you see is when he says portion, that means all that I need. Now think about it. When he says the Lord is my portion, what he's saying is that it is God who provides all that we need for life. In other words, to have God is to have enough. A faith here in application. Faith then depends on the provision of God. See, faith remembered the character of God in our previous verses, but here then it takes it one step further. We apply our faith by becoming dependent like a child on God and depending on his provision. You know, when Melody and I we're going through infertility. We did go and to the doctor and we had a workup. And when we were there in Chattanooga, the doctor didn't find anything. And that was one of the struggles was that we couldn't have children, yet the doctor said we should be able to have children. And so we tried to 
what in the world are you doing, Lord? What's going on here? And when we were in Dallas, we were able to go to a doctor, and Melody and I had saved up just enough money for one infertility treatment, just one. And what we thought is, God, we're going to place all our faith in you, and we're going to just go for it one time. I was a starving seminary student, and we just said, we're going to go for it one more time. So we went to the doctor, went to the infertility specialist, and believe it or not, we came to find out that our health insurance covered all of our infertility workup. Boy, wasn't God faithful. And wasn't he faithful because there's three sitting right out there. (laughs) Andrew Gregory and John Patrick. I remember when Melody and I found out that we were having triplets, it was as if we were done something wrong because we were on the plane that day going, how are we going to tell our parents? But God was so faithful. He provided us with kids that we never thought that we would have. But we had to rely on his provision. And it was tough. And we were surprised at times. It wasn't easy. That's the second thing that Jeremiah does. Is he goes from remembering God's character to then relying on his provision. And then finally, Jeremiah goes to resting in God's promises. Look with me in Lamentations 3, 25 through 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that they, that he walks silently for the salvation or wait silently for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is good. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. In other words, sometimes weakness is all we have. And sometimes we have to wait in weakness. And sometimes we need to come to the understanding, as Jeremiah did, that his weakness or our weakness is in fact God's strength. And Jeremiah comes and he says, the Lord is good. But notice that he says, for those who seek him. Uh, This is not a a passive waiting around, a twiddling of the thumbs, if you will. Uh, But this is more of an active seeking God's answers. It is an active prayer time. And some of the ways that I've done that in my life is when we are waiting on the Lord, we always connect with somebody in the church. We connect with those good friends and we have them come around us and begin to pray for us in the circumstances with which we find ourselves. And it is amazing what happens when you come together with other people in the church, those whom you love and those who love you. It's amazing what happens when you begin to pray together for God's faithfulness to be shown in whatever way God might choose to show it. But actively seeks his answers, actively through prayer. And so here what we see is that faith then applied, faith stands on the promises of God here. Faith stands on the promises of God. And as God's new covenant people, we have 
incredible promises. Now, Jesus said this, he said, seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, and all these things will be added to you. Now, John Piper said it this way. He said, so we must not compound today's load with fretting over tomorrow's. Uh, we must not doubt God and say, I have no more strength, so tomorrow will be impossible to live. That's not true. You will not be asked to live tomorrow on today's strength. What you need today is not tomorrow's strength, but today's faith that tomorrow's mercies will be new and will be enough. Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 40, 30. Though youths grow tired and weary and vigorous men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. I remember a few weeks back, Melody and I had the opportunity to begin to clean out a house and to organize some things. And uh, we were doing that. And my mother, a little while ago, maybe six months ago, after the death of her mother, my grandmother, she collected this box. And I didn't realize what it was at the time, but she gave it to me and she said, Stephen, I want you to go through these things. And so the nostalgic, reminiscent kind of person that I am, I began to go through those. I sat down and I was going through all the different, different things and, and I found uh, little uh, newspaper clippings of, of me when I played for the Vols, the Pee Wee Vols, that is. Uh, I found um, letters from camp where in those letters I, I would write, Dear Mom, send food, love Stephen. Uh, one time I even said, dear mom, send food. Everybody else has it but me. Send food. Thank you. Love, Stephen. I was going through those and I found a letter that a friend of mine who's struggling with cancer right now wrote to me. It was at the moment in time when I was 28, as I mentioned earlier in this message. It was at a moment of time when I had committed my life to full-time Christian ministry. Now I said, God, I'm going to go anywhere you want me to go. Do anything you want me to do and I'm going to be committed to you for your gospel and your kingdom. And he wrote me this note. And he said, Stephen, he said, what God calls you to do, he will equip you to do. Rest in the power of your call. Rest in God's promises. Rest in the power of of your call. Rest in what God is doing in your life. You know, we have an amazing promise in Jesus Christ. That promise is in the new covenant for all who believe. And in a similar way, we're just like Benny Adkins stepped in between that man that day on that helicopter and saved his wounded comrade. So too, Jesus Christ has stepped in between the enemy and us. Jesus Christ has taken on himself our sin by dying on the cross for us. And it is in and through him that we find life by trusting in his provision for us. His promise to all who believe that he died for our sins 
and rose from the dead. Maybe you've done that. And you're like me, you continue to celebrate God's faithfulness in your life and you see it day in and day out. Maybe you haven't done that. If you haven't, we're going to have the opportunity in a little while just to ask if, if you would like for prayer, I would love to pray for you today. If you would like to talk about that, I would love to talk with you about that. God is incredibly faithful through the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We can see faithfulness in the heroic acts of people like Benny Atkins. We don't always see God's faithfulness as his people. Uh, Sometimes things cloud our view and they get in the way. But God is faithful. And so when that happens, just like the writer of Lamentations does, God calls us to remember his character. He calls us to rely on his provision. And he calls us to rest in his promises. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, you are so faithful. And Lord, I would like to think that I have seen all the ways you've been faithful in my life. But Lord, I haven't. Uh, There's so many ways that you've been faithful in my life that I have no knowledge about. Uh, But Lord, one day, I can't wait to meet you in heaven. And I can't wait to hear all those ways that you brought me through, even when I didn't realize it. Lord, thank you for your love for us in Christ Jesus. And thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.